Welcome to the Paranormal Pendle podcast, coming to you from the heart of Pendle Witch Country in the northwest of England. My name is Craig Bryant, author, investigator, and collector of stories. Join me as we take a journey into the paranormal, UFO sightings, cryptozoology, and big cats. This is the Paranormal Pendle podcast. Welcome to episode 26 of Paranormal Pendle, broadcasting to the Paranormal UK Radio Network at paukradio.com. My guest on this episode is paranormal author Graham Milne. Um, Graham, first of all, thanks very much for coming on uh, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Um, I always like to ask uh, guests when they come on the podcast for the first time just uh, to sort of um, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, what your interest in in the paranormal is, when it all started and so on. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, really, I suppose it all started when I was a really young kid. I was hugely into reading ghost stories, mainly mainly uh, fictional ones. But I mean, as I got older, I started to go into factual stuff and I was quite fascinated living in the north of Scotland. Of course, we're in castle country. So I used to read a lot of stories about all these green ladies in various castles around the area. And uh, I was quite fascinated by it. But I really, I mean, I, think, I guess what happened was when I was 21, I actually had a paranormal experience, which okay. kind of changed my life. Um, while I was house sitting in Dunfermline, of all places, which if you don't know, is just... Uh, a little bit away from Edinburgh, probably about an hour's drive. Yeah. Uh, and I was actually house-sitting for my girlfriend's family. I mean, I didn't know I was going to be house-sitting. I actually arrived to see her at a hotel in Edinburgh where she was staying with her family. But her father didn't know about my arrival, and he said, he's not paying for me to stay there with his daughter. So he <laughs> shipped me off to this empty house with a sleeping <laughs> bag. And that's where I spent the night. Right. The night, and I often talk about the story, you know, when I'm doing ghost tours, and most folk, I'm sure, don't believe me, but I was actually grabbed by the ankles okay. in the middle of the night and pulled across the floor, resulting in my head getting smacked off the wooden floor. And, of course, I woke up terrified, probably mm. about four feet from the wall, and I sort of lay there like a caterpillar for, you know, probably about an hour, but I plucked up the nerve to get to the light switch. And uh, I spent, uh, you know, the rest of the night awake, of course, mm. <laughs> in a panic, okay. and... Uh, <laughs> From then on in, I thought, well, there's got to be something in this. And uh, that kind of really got me interested in the whole idea of, you know, uh, the afterlife, really. And um, from then on, my interest grew. Until as an adult, you know, a much older adult, I started to write about uh, ghost stories myself uh, and take part in investigations. Okay. That must have been quite a, a frightening experience then. I mean, how old were you, if you, if you don't mind? Well, I was 21, but yeah, it was the first time I'd ever experienced anything like it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it did. It was, uh, I kind of laugh about it now, but I, I'm sure at the time I must have been petrified. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, did, did you have any idea what, what it was? Was there any history in the place that, that you knew about or you found uh, out about later? Yeah, the only thing I found out was it used to be a, an old manse that belonged to a minister of the Church of Scotland. Okay. Well, that's all I knew. Um, it was semi-derelict at the time. Um, and I, I mean, I was with my girlfriend at the time just for a matter of months after that, and the house was being done up. Um, so I guess now it's completely different. But back then it looked fairly antiquated. The floors were all parquet flooring, um, big oak staircase. Quite a grand building, really. Um, 
But I've never been back, so I'm not really sure what it would look like now, but it did belong to the Church of Scotland. Right. So what I mean, how did that, that affect you going forward then? Was it was it something that really sort of piqued your interest then in the in the paranormal from that point onwards? Or was it was it later in life when you started getting more uh, interested in it? Well, it kind of, kind of, it was one of these weird things. It was kind of always in the back of my mind, and I, I mm. continued to read books. But as I got older, um, I sort of started to look at things and, and, you know, really think about, you know, the possibility of an afterlife and energy continuing. Mm. Read a lot on the subject, and then started to look at the books that I've read before, reread them, and thought, well, a lot of these stories you read about are kind of almost mythological. You know, they're oft-repeated tales. People talk about haunted castles, but very rarely can give you an exact, um, you know, incident. It's just, yes, there's supposed to be a grey lady haunts here. And it's all very vague. And I kind of thought, I want to write a ghost book where I'm really, you know, that I would like myself, that I would get some real meat to. Mm. And, and I thought the best way about going about that was just to actually visit places in person, interview people, but also look at the history. Because I always felt the history and the stories don't often marry. And I think it's really interesting to look at the history of a building, because if somebody turns around and says, you know, yeah, there's a graveyard here or something, you know, if your research shows it isn't there, then it casts a whole different light on these stories, makes you question them. And though I'm a believer, I still go in with a vaguely skeptic, skeptical mind. You know, I think it's important to keep a, a vaguely skeptical mind, at least. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, I agree 100 percent. Um, so do, do you think then that, that a lot of um, a lot of ghost stories can be sort of um, built in the same way that legends and, and sort of almost hearsay and Chinese whispers, in effect, yeah. Um, yeah, have you found that, that that can be the case more often than not, do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think so. Um, now, it's strange because Aberdeen and Edinburgh are two entirely different cities, as you can imagine. Mm. Aberdeen doesn't have much of a, a tourist industry, for example. So the ghost stories that I found out about really weren't things that were talked about. But there was a few, but a lot of things weren't mentioned or written about before. Whereas Edinburgh ghost stories, you know, they're dyed in the wool and they're part of the fabric of the city because there's a whole industry built around it. And so these stories are often repeated. And what I found interesting was to go in and really look at these stories and look at the history and see if there was actually any basis for this or were they just old wives' tales, essentially. And, uh, you know, I suppose picking them apart a little bit. And I found out some pretty interesting things, I think, that uh, disproves certain things but proves other things, like, or potentially proves other things. Okay. But, uh, you know, Emma really has a, has a real love affair with ghosts, I would say, at, at least, you know, in the public eye, I guess. So let's let's talk about Aberdeen then, um, yeah. because Aberdeen's um, a city, obviously that I know of, yeah. um, but I don't know it as well as uh, Edinburgh or indeed Glasgow. And I think probably most people who don't live up in that part of Scotland probably would would say the same sort of thing. Um, yeah. I mean, are you, are you, where, whereabouts are you based? Are you based up in in the northeast of Scotland? Uh, no, I moved. I moved to Edinburgh four years ago, but I had lived in Aberdeen pretty much most of my life up yeah. to that point. Um, but we just fancied a move to Edinburgh. But I did live there, uh, apart from the odd, the odd little escape now and then. And uh, it's a great city. I mean, it's a city, like you say, that's not really in people's consciousness because it's not 
really known as a tourist destination. Mm. It's got some lovely parts to it. It looks great. It's very interesting. Mm. It's all made from grey granite, which is pretty unique. Yeah, uh, I was going to say it's called the Granite City, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so when you come in, it's all very austere, beautiful buildings, uh, sparkling sunlight, but of course in the damp grey weather, which we get a lot, it looks, mm. <laughs> looks pretty <laughs> grim, you know. Um, but yeah, there's been a few stories associated with the area, but they tended to be around sort of castle country, and a mm. lot of buildings within the city uh, were an unknown quantity. Mm. There's a couple of authors before... Um, you know, I'd written about them uh, in various books, and I kind of wanted to sort of carry on from that basis. Uh, this guy called Norman Adams, who was a, a journalist in Aberdeen, and he had a real interest in the supernatural and witchcraft, and he wrote a wee series of books in the 80s onwards, uh, one about ghosts, one about body snatching, um, crime and punishment, really good writer. Um, and I just felt, wow, you know, that kind of inspired me, because he was really digging a little bit deeper, I thought. So mm. he was the guy that got me going, I think, more than anyone else. So what was the name of, of your first book then? Was it was it the Aberdeen's Haunted Heritage? Uh, the first one was called The Haunted North. It came oh. out in um, 2008. And then the follow-up, Haunted North 2, 2012. And, I, you know, at the time, typically I was really quite pleased with them, but... I guess looking back, as you get older and perhaps your technique improves, mm. um, I was kind of a bit, mm, bit kind of embarrassed about it in some ways. I mean, I, I like the content, but I just think the presentation was a little off for my liking. Okay. So that was the whole reason to go back and revisit. So with like Aberdeen's Haunted Heritage, which was the latest one, right. it was kind of amalgamation of the two books, but I'd greatly expanded it because in the interim I'd gathered many more stories so I kind of got rid of the superfluous stuff and focused on what I thought was potentially the most interesting stuff. Okay. Um, but okay. it is a reworking, if you like, but it's yeah. been added to. Yeah. Okay. So, all right then, let's let's get on to some stories then. Sure. Um, <laughs> tell me, tell me some of the um, some of the really good stories then from Aberdeen. Some of the really interesting ones. There's a couple of good ones to kick off with. Um, I mean, there's a great haunted pub called the Moorings, which is now called Krakatoa. And I remember at the time getting a phone call from the owner and he says, oh, you've got to come in and check this place out. There's been numerous stories uh, from staff witnessing things. So the phenomena ranged from um, things like poltergeist activity, for example, uh, a bucket moving along the floor by itself. These kind of mists that would appear and then vanish very quickly. Uh, cutlery flying off the bar. There was a barman used to work there back in the 70s called Ted. He was a Canadian airman, ex-airman from the Second War, a much older guy, of course. Mm. And he died um, in Aberdeen, but he was working there at times as a cellarman. His spirit's been seen pushing a barrel uh, by a couple of staff members in the basement towards the area where the beer would have been loaded down, but yet there was no sound coming from it. It was almost like a, a silent movie playing. Right. So it was all this phenomena, but... The couple, the most scary things, I guess, was the guy who owned it. Uh, when you go to the cellar, it's very, very low. It's a 16th century coaching in below. It's a very old basement. And there was a tiny room in the middle where he used to go and count up his pennies at the end of the night where the safe was, essentially. And sitting on the wall was an ancient price list, you know, from the 1970s. It was all, like, really yeah. 5p a pint, etc. Yeah. And one day he decides to move it. 
Soon after, because of the phenomena, they set up some EVP in the basement, which they left overnight. And of course, they're looking or listening to it over the hours soon after. And it's all very quiet, nothing happens. And suddenly a male voice booms out of nowhere, put the price list back, like really full volume is here, which kind of freaked him out somewhat. Yeah, I'm sure. And uh, one which I think was even scarier was, again, in the cellar, he's sitting in the safe room and he's on his own at night, everything's locked up and something flutters down in front of his eyes. And when he looks in the table in front of him, there's a tiny black and white passport photo, you know, the kind you'd get in the 70s. Yeah. There's a woman there, black and white photo. He flicks it over. It's got the name Anne on it, dated 1972. And he freaks out because a few days before that, one of his regular clients had vanished and the police had come in to find her. And she was a regular. She did have a drink problem. And that was her name. And this was an ancient photograph of her from 1972. And God knows how it had fallen between the floorboards, but it must have been stuck there for about 25, 30 years. And it yeah. just drifted down in front of his eyes. Wow. So the police duly arrived two days later to announce that they found out where she was. She died in hospital, cirrhosis of the liver. Mm. So that was uh, quite scary. And of course, he bolted out of the, the pub and locked the door at that moment. <laughs> I'm not, not surprised. Yeah. That's that's quite a coincidence, isn't it? With the um, yeah, uh, with the photograph. That's. It's 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 stories like that, that that do make me more and more convinced that there are um, forces at work that that we really don't understand. Because I mean that is that would be just a real coincidence, wouldn't it, for it just to happen of its own accord? Um, yeah, the uh, the voice as well is is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, was was that possibly the uh, the the Canadian gentleman or? Did he, is, is there any sort of, um, you know, uh, did he mention anything about whether there was an accent to the voice or? Yeah, they think it, it was a Scottish voice and he oh, thinks okay. it's um, the previous owner was called Shep, was Shepherd was the second name, but everybody referred to him as Shep. It used to be a biker's bar okay. back in the day. And the price list comes from the time when he was the owner and he thought it would have been him because of oh. the accent. Yeah. Um, Interesting. The basement floods as well, which is really odd. There's a there's a kind of um, a kind of underground stream, if you like, that leads to the harbour below. And of course, at high tide, occasionally if there's been bad weather, the basement will flood. So it was a pretty strange area, you know, there's a lot of water outside. Plus, bizarrely enough, the um, in the old days before the harbour uh, front was actually extended, the harbour the water would have come right up to the point of where that building is now. And it used to be called the potty. The potty was a drowning pool for witches, <laughs> excuse me, and um, child murderers. And there's five cases of people being drowned in the potty historically in the late 1500s, literally outside the door of that building. So it's got a kind of dark history there as well, which potentially may have something to do with it. I don't know, but it's, mm. it's certainly an unpleasant thought. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's something that I've I've never heard of before. Actually, I've heard of. Um obviously witches uh being ducked as a as a trial yeah um you know to see whether they sink or float yeah um but i've i've never heard of it being used as a uh, a method of dispatch shall we yeah. say um yeah that's really interesting so yeah uh and any more then from 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 uh, yeah. well you mentioned coincidence and i do think that's right there are certain things that are so strange you've got to wonder if it's a coincidence, it must be one heck of a coincidence. 
but this is a great one and this is probably one of the scariest ones to be honest for me but i used to work for a place called the wea which was a uh, an education establishment we looked after kind of people uh, women who'd left school early um, and wanted to gain you know qualifications later in life so basically it was a tutor program and it was in a very modern building 1960s attached to um, uh, a creche so I worked there for years as a tutor and my partner was always saying to me my, my, my manager was always saying to me she thought this place was haunted and it's true enough, when you went into the building, there was a really weird vibe about it at times, especially in the morning when you came in early. Mm. So one morning I came in the building, and as you go along this tiny corridor, there's two bathrooms on your left. And I walked by and glanced in, and there was a woman standing with her head in the sink, sort of washing her hair, long black hair. So I stepped back, and she'd gone. So, of course, I told my boss, and she was <laughs> freaking out about this. And it got to a point, basically, where we had to call in a medium because we did feel there was something odd. And the medium came in and she said, first thing she said was, oh, yeah, I'm picking up the impression of a woman having her head shoved in the sink from the bathroom. And of course, we told her nothing in advance. Mm. So that was very peculiar. But mm. anyway, we did some research in the building and found out that on the site of it used to be an old Victorian plumbing shop. And I came in. Siani with this information I'd found. This was the week before Christmas 2007, I think. And the students were having their Christmas tea and cake before term ended. And I barged in and I said, oh, yeah, I found out this is a plumbing shop. And she made this kind of off-the-cuff remark, maybe we've got a phantom plumber. So that was all good. So we sat down. Two minutes later, we could hear the sound of footsteps thundering up the stairs. The creche worker bursts in and says, we've had a flood. So wow. we ran through to the bathroom where the woman with the black hair had been seen and this shower, which had never worked in all the time we'd been there, had been switched on. It was gushing water across the floor and had flooded the creche below. <laughs> so wow. it was like something had listened to us and said, all right, and we couldn't switch it off. Two of us were actually struggling to, put, to actually push this lever off. We eventually did, but whatever did it must have had some strength. Yeah. That was pretty scary, of course, and the students all legged out the door. <laughs> they just ran for it. That was pretty odd. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, I'm, I'm, it's interesting, is that one, actually. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, when I speak to you've probably found this as well. Um, when, when you speak to people about yeah. haunted buildings, they always tend to, to think of, of very old buildings being haunted. Um, but I know of a, a, of a case locally of a school which, which was only built about 15 years ago um, that has got uh, a lot of, uh, of activity in it, um, a lot of poltergeist activity and also a lot of um, what I would, would sort of class as, as recording type um, ghosts. So they, they just replay themselves all the time, but there's no sort of interaction. Yeah. But it's because of what was there before the school was built. It's not actually the school itself. Um, it's the buildings and everything that, that was there before. And this sounds like a very similar um set of circumstances where you've got a very modern building but of course as you said there was a there was an old victorian building there prior to that and of course that's that's what's causing the um uh the manifestations but that's quite some quite um intriguing i suppose you could call that poltergeist activity really couldn't you yeah yeah and what was really odd was at the end of it all um because the medium came and did this blessing um we sat in the the room, the bathroom, it was about five or six. We sat in the bathroom where the all this incidents had occurred. It was a really horrible feeling there. 
So anyway, she did the blessing and we left and went through to the other room. All the batteries and the cameras and the recording equipment would be brought along. Now, I'm not a technical guy, but this guy, Ross, who's really up, up into this, brought along all sorts of gear. And absolutely everything went flat as a pancake within literally 30 seconds. We got nothing. It just died. All the batteries and every single device went. And also, to cap it all, we'd left uh, a glass of water, which the medium had taken into the bathroom to drink, mm. had been left on the windowsill and went to retrieve it at the end of the night. And it was way down to about an inch below, you know, from the bottom. Something had actually drained the water. Wow. And it was just really, really strange. Nobody could explain it. Um, and Ross, being a very sceptical guy, was kind of flabbergasted by this. He, he just couldn't understand it because, of course, he did everything. Worked out well in advance of the, the actual event. It was strange. It was strange. It's interesting you mention um, the electrical um, activity or going on the fact that the batteries were drained because I've I've heard that happening quite a lot where there's there's a breakdown of seemingly um, perfectly good working order uh, cameras and and recording equipment and it's it's almost like it's some sort of um, electrical discharge that that knocks these things out. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. I think I think um, you know if well. My kind of perception, I suppose, is, you know, like you said before, there's there's um, recordings from the past that are not sentient, but you do obviously have sentient spirits which interact uh, and, you know, perhaps their energy so strong that they just, you know, affect things like you say, like batteries and things and, and cameras. Yeah, um, it's quite interesting. And I think a lot of areas like bathrooms and kitchens peculiarly seem to be haunted and I wonder if the water somehow is a conductor as well they often say mm. that a lot of hauntings occur on you know nights when it's raining for example yeah so I don't know but it, it seems to point to that anyway it's interesting. it's interesting yeah it is and and again you mentioned there about water um I actually was was a guest on a on a podcast um uh, earlier on this week actually on uh, well uh, two days ago um, and I was talking about water as well because I'm I'm now becoming um, more and more convinced that water does act as a conduit um, for energy that that you know can cause paranormal activity or or even any other sort of unexplained phenomena as well and I've I've found that a lot of uh, the research that I've done where there's been particular sites of um, concentration of paranormal activity, uh, there also does seem to be water involved. So that's really interesting you've said that. And you're, yeah. you're actually the, the, the only other person that I've ever spoken to um, or, or spoken to me as a guest, shall we say, that's actually brought that up. So, so yeah. I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, so go on. I'm, I'm, I'm loving these stories. Have, have you got any more? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Well, one of my jobs there cause was working for the um, uh, well, city council and, and working in the museums department, which was great because it allowed me to work over four different buildings and two in particular are very, very old. Uh, one's called the toll booth, which was a prison. Um, of course, toll booths are fairly common across Scotland anyway for, you know, for collecting taxes and what have you. But this one dated from about uh, 1641. And uh, we used to go in there and do classes and take groups in and what have you and look up and down. It's kind of weird. It's It featured in Most Haunted, but I mean, the way it was filmed, it made it look like it was an incredibly huge building. But it's, it's literally a tower, if you like. 
But anyway, it's got it's got a weird history. And of course, being a prison, there's been lots of uh, death and destruction attached to it. But I do remember uh, probably the most obvious thing was going up with a group one day. Uh, we had a talk on the top floor, which was called the Condemned Cell. It was probably one of the smallest there. It was the original brick floor, etc. And in the corner, they had a glass case with a with a blade from the Maiden. You know, that was like the Halifax gibbet, the guillotine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had that there, and there was always a weird vibe about it. But anyway, we're listening to the guide talking, and there was about eight of us in the room, and myself and the four other students were nearest the door. And uh, thump, 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 bump comes these footsteps up the stairs very, very loudly. We were expecting the attendant to walk in, but all that happened was the temperature dropped. I mean, very, very noticeably. It was a warm summer's day. And we're all looking at each other nervously, and then the footsteps came into the room, and there was nothing, absolutely nothing. But yet it was clump, clump, clump into the room, icy cold. And after the talk, as soon as we got outside, the students, of course, were all babbling. Uh, and going, my God, did you hear that? Did you feel that? He goes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So collected lots of stories from there, but I had a friend called Mary, and she went along there with her husband and their neighbour's kid just to have a look around. And on the first floor, it's a kind of slightly bigger room, and she's standing there looking at one of the boards, and it's talking about, you know, the Covenanters, I think, if I remember correctly. And uh, husband's somewhere else, and she hears a coughing behind her, and she looks around, and there's a tiny wee guy standing behind her, um, she described him as being, you know, about four and a half foot tall. He's mm. wearing a pinstripe suit and a kind of fedora type hat, you know, 1930s style. And he winks yeah. at her and mm. she just screams and bolts down the stairs and almost ran into the traffic and literally to be grabbed at the last minute by an attendant. She had to sit down and got a glass of water. And when she explained what happened, he said, that guy's been seen before. But he's not like a very, obviously, very, very old historic character. Mm. But the uh, thing was that was uh, strange was the whole building was used as a record office in the 1930s for the council. Used to store wine there because it was a great temperature for storing wine, (laughs) among other things. And this chap, she said, was completely solid. He just winked and he vanished. Puff of smoke like that, he was gone. But, uh, yeah, she screamed the place down. Said to me, I'll never go back there, she said. (laughs) Um, So you've had some modern... Well, people in modern attire are seen there, but also people uh, in kind of late medieval attire as well. So you've got a real broad mix of different uh, spirits and activities. Um, shadow figures, EVP, cold spots, people mm. being touched in the ear, a few different things. It's quite an interesting building, but I suppose considering what it was used for, it's it's not like this activity is happening continually. It's very, very sporadic. Right. But I did enjoy working there, I have to say. It was a kind of little added bonus for me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so when, um, what what sort of date did that date back to? Have you any idea? The building itself mm. dates from, uh, I think, 1641 when it was built. Um, and it was a prison right up till, I think, sort of slightly late Victorian. Um, then it shut because they built what was called Craig Inches, which was a proper prison Uh, the outskirts of the city and so um, it just became a record office and I think about 30 years ago they decided to open it as a museum but I mean it was in a hell of a state at that point and had a lot of work done to it. Um, It's a fascinating building though, Um, it's it's still shut unfortunately I believe because of the aftermath of Covid but because Mm. it's been shut for so long there is some structural concerns about the inside of it. it's got a massive archway when you go in it's got this horrendous crack in the middle 
which which people have been assured isn't going to fall down but you know it looks like it will but it's, it mm. probably won't <laughs> but i think they're just being cautious if you know what i mean yeah well health and safety takes over yeah. unfortunately yeah. so is, is there any indication then of, of what this um very short man in a suit who, who it could be we have no idea absolutely no idea uh, unless it was a council worker from the time mm. i mean bizarrely enough um in there just now today there is a room that was kind of like an add-on if you like a later add-on it's got a number of uh civic portraits from ex-lord provost etc i mean he's definitely not a lord provost because you know he didn't look like any of those but it could be somebody connected to that period of time so this portraits date from the 1920s 30s and 40s so he looks like he's someone from there but who he is i've absolutely no idea but apparently he's been seen a few times but certainly Mary said he was completely and utterly solid, which was which was very, very bizarre. Mm. Um, it's a strange old place there, I have to say. Uh, I mean, I worked there for years and typically in a building, um, you can go in a hundred times and see nothing or feel nothing, but it's always that one occasion. Um, they also used to open up for uh, visiting sort of like uh, ghost hunt events. And yeah. I used to have to go on and be there just as a kind of extra pair of hands because I was a council employee, which was interesting watching groups at work. But typically nothing happened because I always think sometimes when you go in these big sort of ghost investigations with a huge mob, things tend not to happen. It's always when there's a slight mm. sort of quieter approach seems to get better results, I've found. Yeah, um, I, I'm always quite sceptical of, um, of these types of... Um organized you know ghost hunts um, yeah. you know especially the ones that charge money for, <laughs> for yeah, the, yeah. For, for, for the privilege because you know as, as as you probably well know um this sort of phenomena doesn't um doesn't perform toward it does, does it it's it's gonna gonna do what it wants to do when it wants to do it and it's not going to perform just because there's a you know, a big group of, of paying customers, shall we say, who are, mm. are being taken on a on a guided tour of somewhere. So, so yeah, that's. Uh, mm. It I'm, used to be. Oh, I, sorry. I was no, no, no. I'm going to say I'm fascinated by the by, by the four foot four foot man in the suit. I think that's, I that that will be quite scary, really. I think. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, it's an odd one. It's not the kind of thing that you kind of, you know, of all the experiences people talk about. Mm. You know, it's a pretty kind of definite character with a very vivid yeah, description. Yeah, 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 and a, and quite a unique one as well, really. I don't think I've I've heard of of anything similar. Um, does Aberdeen have? And and again, please excuse my uh, ignorance of of the area around around the city. Does it have any sort of um, old castles or anything like that that have got any particular good stories? Um, there is. There's quite a lot of castles in the vicinity. Um, the one I think nearest to us would be Crathus Castle, which is supposed to have a green lady. And there's been lots of stories about that. So I, I never really did any research on it, but I do remember reading uh, that supposedly uh, buried underneath the hearthstone at the fire, there was a, a, a female skeleton found with a, with a baby, a baby skeleton as well. And I'm not sure what period this was, but they claim it was either um, a servant and baby, but probably an illegitimate pregnancy, perhaps, or it could have been the lady of the house. I mean, that's how vague it is. There's 
sort of conflicting stories. But apparently this figure of a woman and baby's been seen by the fireplace uh, on a number of occasions. Uh, but I don't know much else than that, to be honest. Um, a lot of people talk, it's a, I think it's a National Trust building, so, you know, it gets a wee mention usually in books, but there's never a great raft of um, eyewitness accounts, unfortunately. It seems to be, you know, just sporadic and it's kind of stuck. But yeah, yeah. she's known as the Green Lady of Krathis. And I remember going there in the 70s, and we were talking about it then, of course, and I was petrified when I was only about five, going to this haunted, supposedly haunted room, but uh, of course never saw anything. But yeah, it's stuck since then, for sure. So you obviously moved away then from Edinburgh, from, uh, from Aberdeen and moved to Edinburgh. Um, yeah. As you mentioned at the, 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 at the beginning of our chat. Um, I mean, what, what's, what's your thought, thoughts about how the scene is, shall we say, in Edinburgh as opposed to, to Aberdeen? I mean, do you find that it's a lot more touristy, for instance? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, it's an odd one because, you know, I, I, I'm sort of doing tour guiding at the moment as a kind of job, I guess, and uh, local people are very disparaging about it. A lot of the time you'll be standing doing a tour, you know, customers, tourists are there, you know they're fascinated by the city it's quite a unique city obviously mm. you know what it's like it's it's pretty much unique in scotland as far as the amount of preserved buildings it has so the tourists are quite in awe of this but the locals are are kind of odd they've got a weird attitude you know they're kind of biting the hand that feeds because obviously without tourism which is a massive injection of money uh to the to the city things might be in dire straits but they also get very angry about the streets being full of <laughs> And so they'll they'll shout abuse at you and and you know and think that everything you're saying is nonsense. You know, mm. like you're making everything up just to while away the hours with people. It's, it's an odd situation. There's not a lot of respect, I don't think, for tour guides. They think we're all kind of you know chancers and making this up, and it's an odd thing. Um, they love ghosts. They everywhere you go in Edinburgh, you know that you've got umpteen ghost tours online you've got all the southbridge vaults of course you've got the mary king's close haunted graveyards and they they make a big deal of it aberdeen doesn't do anything really at all there's a couple of uh tour companies like hidden aberdeen tours is one of the only ones i know that does or did do ghost tours occasionally um but Edinburgh, you know you, you go there and that's all you're getting boom, boom, boom. Mm. now the strange thing is that and I'm not saying this is bad, I'm not meaning to put anyone down, but a lot of these companies employ actors. Yeah. So they don't really have any interest in the subject, but they're there to deliver the line mm. in costume, which is great, and people love that kind of thing. But for me, um, I like just to tell a story and let people decide what they want, but I don't add frills as such. I think the mm. stories are good, and, and I believe them to be true, and there is evidence to support that. And I think if people have an interest in it, you know they'll buy into that but honestly probably 99 percent of people in a tour have absolutely no belief and probably very little interest in ghosts but they turn up because they kind of feel obliged to because mm. that's what you do in edinburgh it's an odd situation that and drink whiskey that and drink whiskey yeah. and i always <laughs> say to them the pub's still open guys because i always ask <laughs> at the beginning who's got a belief in ghosts and there'll be one little shy person at the back. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I'm doomed, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. What's what's the name of your of, of your tour? 
the tour company I work for is called City Explorers, and it's one of these free tour companies. And uh, literally, we're just self-employed guides, and we just turn up and yeah. get a, a schedule. And we can kind of create our own tour, if you like, through the different places you want to go. And there's obviously certain stories you want to hit on that are the most famous or well-discussed. Um, and it's an odd one. It's an hour and a half of we try and entertain, but, you know, keep people awake at the same time. Uh, hopefully not too scared, but we, we don't have access to any of the underground stuff. That's a completely separate thing. That's That's a business that other companies own and buy into to get a share of that, you see. Right, okay, so a bit a bit like a, a paranormal timeshare. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. One, one guy apparently, I think, owns the, probably most of the Southbridge vaults. I think he bought it up, if you like. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of sublet to different uh, groups from that. Sounds so, like a good business model. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a uh, it's a real cash cow, as you can imagine. It's uh, can imagine, yeah, yeah. The money just flows in. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your tour. Let's let's go back to your tour then. Um, have you got any good good things you could tell us about um, some of the places you visit on your tour, for instance? Yeah, I mean, I um, I take them down to a couple of places. Uh, what well, obviously we got grave for our cemetery, which I'm sure you're well aware of. Uh, yeah. It's known as Europe's most haunted cemetery and of course there's all sorts of grim stories attached to it um probably one of the most horrible ones I guess is the old uh, one that happened in 2004 if I remember correctly when there was two young lads who were drunk and they actually broke into a big monument there called the Mackenzie tomb uh and they were caught with a severed head I don't know if you'd heard that story no I haven't actually no well, it was a court case actually yeah it was horrible yeah they actually broke in um kind of like a dare i guess um and there was loads of people around as you can imagine because it was very very busy and they disappeared for a little while and of course they'd all been drinking so apparently later on they emerged and one of them had a blue blanket under his jacket and he'd gone into this crypt which contains i think about 24 coffins under the ground and it just cut the head off of a corpse Oh, and took it out and uh, presented it to one of the girls in full view of a, a passing tour. Um, and it wasn't a skeletal head either. It was a, it's a mummified head, which oh, caused a massive furore, of course. Yeah. And, uh, the guide the guide who's leading the group had to rugby tackle him to the ground and uh, police were called, etc. Anyway, they missed prison by a, by a, a fraction. They were uh, fined for the, what was it, the desecration of a sepulchre, which I think... The last persons that had ever been done for that were like body snatchers, you know, 200 years before. But anyway, after that, this poltergeist activity uh, allegedly increased somewhat. So there's a suggestion that he, whoever the the head is, we think it might be Mackenzie, uh, bloody George Mackenzie, he was a lawyer, might be his head. Um, that's the poltergeist. He's been angry because of the desecration mm. of this... Uh, activities carried on since then but uh, nobody really knows it was just a really horrible story you know yeah so what what sort of poltergeist activities been going on then have, have you have you any any idea yeah the main thing is is scratching biting and shoving that happens to tourists okay. uh, at various random times uh during the day 
but also at night if you go on this particular tour you get taken into a gated area and you have to go on this particular tour to get in because they're the sole mm. key holder and if you go in there there's been numerous reports of people actually having um, bad attacks on the tour and you know feeling pain of some description of being punched or shoved but more often than not most people leave and the 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 cut or bruise manifests itself later it can be quite right. extreme yeah. Uh, and funnily enough, my wife was filming me outside the gate of uh, the very same area last June. I think it was the 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 first lockdown had finished before we went back into the second lockdown, if I can remember correctly. Mm. And uh, she's filming me at the gates of um, this area, which they call the Covenanters Prison, which is the haunted area. And uh, something grabbed her on the shoulder in broad daylight. I mean, a forceful grab, and mm. she screamed very loudly and ran behind me. And we were just, well, actually, it was about the first time I'd actually properly panicked. So I thought, my God, this is, a, mm. this is the real deal here. It never happened again, thankfully, but it was a real forceful grab on her shoulder. Uh, and my friend actually was there with his dog, and he saw this and came over and said, what happened? We, we assumed she'd been you know, stung by a wasp or something at the time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was odd. That was odd. Uh, and this is a phenomenon that just continues to this day. Um, one of my friends actually is a guide there, a Spanish guide, and a couple of his friends, uh, Maria and Andrea, were down in the the same cemetery uh, early one morning and admittedly drinking. He did say, "Yeah, we've been drinking, but not not excessively." And uh, one of the girls, Maria, had wandered off, and of course they got worried because she never reappeared. So they went and had a little look around the cemetery, which is a fairly fair size, and uh, still couldn't find her. So they went outside the gate and found her very upset, crying in a doorway. Uh, and she refused to go back in, and they sort of grilled her and said, well, what happened? And she said she decided to go for a walk, and she'd seen a small girl in a white dress wandering along amongst the tombstones in classic tradition, and actually followed her. And the girl just walked through a headstone and vanished, and she said that was her right out of the graveyard, wow. hugely upset. So there's different kind of spirits being seen there if you like yeah that's 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 quite that would um would upset you somewhat wouldn't it if you saw yeah. that yeah. especially if i mean did, did she believe in ghosts or, or was she a non-believer or do you not know i don't know if she did but he said to me that in spain for he's from a small village in spain that they don't have the same attitudes we have to graveyards because he said you know i know here that everybody's quite scared or worried about graveyards at night finding creepy mm. he's in spain we kind of use them as almost like recreational parks and we'll go down to a graveyard at night and sit there and play a guitar and not think anything of it yeah in britain we'd probably be you know erring on the side of caution <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably an understatement yeah uh, uh, that's very, that's very strange I've, I've not heard that before actually about uh about the spanish uh, yeah, yeah my... and one of the other things that was peculiar and again it happened to him was he again? He was out one uh, early morning with some friends, and of course he was talking to them about the haunted area at the back, and this Mackenzie Poltergeist, and he's lying there on the grass chat chatting, and um, something actually landed beside him, and when he shone his phone down, it was a bird that had been cut in half. Oh wow! He said it was very random and strange. Yeah. Um, and they just got up and left, of course. But again, it's just a weird coincidence and. Yeah, I'll yeah. come from you know. Yeah, I was going to say again that that is just too specific uh, 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 an occurrence to be just a coincidence, is it? Really, it's yeah. 
you know, it's not the sort of thing that, that you would think would just randomly happen. I mean, you know, why would it happen at that particular time, at that particular place, yeah. um, in, in that particular way? You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's coincidences, are, they are a strange thing. Um, well, that's obviously one place that, that I will give a wide berth to for the next time I come to Edinburgh because <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds absolutely terrifying. Are, are there any famous people buried in there that you know of? Just, just, just as an aside. Um, there's George Jameson, but he's he's famous for being Scotland's premier or first portrait painter. Right. This guy painted uh, Charles the First, I think. No, Charles the Second's portrait. There's uh, Grey First Bobby, of course. Yeah, the little dog. Uh, there's also uh, William McGonagall, of course, who's the namesake of Professor McGonagall, but he's known as Scotland's worst poet. He's buried there. Um, there's a few other people. I think there's some. I think it's a few famous like lawyers and philosophers and possibly mm. odd scientists, but nobody that's a real kind of name, if you like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a whole board of names, and they're all kind of very well-to-do citizens at the front. But the strange thing about the cemetery is they reckon it's got over two hundred thousand burials, but it's only got around, I think, about three hundred monuments. Because right. the burials are layered up over 500 years, yeah, uh, just on top of each other, and they're peculiarly buried very and literally about a foot under the ground at certain points. And teeth continually pop up out of the ground because of the rain and the weather and the people walking on it. And that's true. And I've seen a tray of teeth, they actually get collected and reburied. <laughs> it's very odd. That is quite bizarre, isn't it? And and I, I suppose there will be a lot of unmarked graves as well. Yeah, most are. Most are literally just pauper's graves, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting, that. Okay, so um, where else do you go on, on your tour then? Well, we go to a place called the Witchery, which is a hotel um, at, near the castle. And the Witchery is famous, I guess, for being this, built on the site where... Uh, most of the witch burnings in Edinburgh took place in the 1590s. Um, so it's got a weird reputation. Now, they own two buildings facing each other, and they're both very nice luxury hotels now. Uh, I think they both belong to the Church of Scotland once upon a time. They're probably over 500 years old. They're very interesting buildings. We actually stayed in the second building, the smaller of the two. Me and my wife, when we got married, we got married at the castle uh 2013 so we stayed in this building and you know it was it was fairly creepy i guess it's a few different rooms it's stone floors four poster beds that kind of thing mm. um but the thing was on the first night the wedding night obviously we didn't see any ghosts or anything but we were about to leave the next day and we got a surprise from our friends they booked us in for a second night as a surprise so we were delighted of course and uh, the second night was just weird second night was one of those nights where you kind of feel a bit kind of uh, freaked out you know there's that mm. i get here going up the back of my neck if i feel something peculiar my wife's a spiritual healer she's quite sensitive to you know okay. buildings where they've got strange vibes if you like yeah. and so we both felt very uneasy um she went to bed i stayed up we put all the lights on because i was <laughs> i was actually getting a bit nervous to be honest <laughs> and i went to make tea early in the morning and you have to go through this corridor to the slidey door behind the panels, a very modern kitchen, of course. Came back to the bedroom, I'm standing at the door, and I could hear something in the corridor behind me. So I just stood and watched 
and it's a very narrow corridor. And this scratching got louder, uh, and I'm not making this up, by the way, but a, but a dog appeared in front of my eyes, and it was a great big uh, Irish wolfhound, and it was completely oh. solid, and it was just literally there. It ran towards me, and I'm talking about literally two seconds, and it was gone again. And I just almost had a heart attack. I was up against the door. The team's wow. all over the floor. Yeah. You, can, you name it. Um, I ended up back in the bedroom super quick. Now, Carol was sleeping, so I just dove under the covers and tried in tested fashion. And yeah. I lay there till morning. So wow. I woke up in the morning and told her, and she says, oh, my God, I woke up in the middle of the night. And there was a guy walking up and down at the foot of the bed who she thought initially was me. And so Julie realised I was still sleeping beside her. So, of course, we had to ask the guy, was it haunted the next morning? And he just blurted out this whole list of stories concerning monks being seen in the bathroom and beds being unmade by, you know, invisible hands and you name it. So it kind of um, verified what we'd thought we'd seen. Uh, yeah, he said it was very, very haunted. Um, most staff had had some experiences. But the weirdest thing was that I think about three years later, I did a tour for uh, an Airbnb uh, guest. This was a lady from the US who was a medium. And this is true. The first thing she said about the building when I told her about the dog was it was attracted there because of a hat that was in the bedroom that belonged to its owner while he was alive. And it was the middle hat of three and it sat in a cabinet at the foot of the bed. And I was standing there, my jaw hitting the deck because I can assure you in the bedroom, there's a cabinet with three hats on it. And it was the middle hat that I actually picked up on my wedding night and was looking at. Wow. <laughs> that was very, very odd. Yeah, um, that's very strange, isn't yeah, it? It was, it was a solid dog as well. I mean, it, it wasn't there long, but it was. I actually thought a dog had just come into the room. And it was mm. that moment of kind of bewilderment. Am I actually seeing this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah kind of course. baffled. Yeah. Very odd. Yeah. And what's, what, what's the name of, um, of that hotel? It's called The Witchery. Okay. And if you Google it, um, it's got, I think, about 11 suites, and they're all themed. There's one called the Armoury Suite. That's the one we stayed in, which has got kind of military uniforms and hats and such like. And there's one called the Secret Library. Obviously, it's all books. And there's one called the Vestry that's sort of religious paraphernalia. Um, and they're really, really interesting building. I mean, the building's interesting alone, but they're filled with antiques and just curios. And it's a, it's a bit of an experience to stay there, as you can imagine. I can imagine, yeah. It sounds sounds fantastic. I'm just yeah. it's it's just going through my mind. It's my wife's birthday soon, so yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe it'll be all booked up, but um but no, yeah, I'll, I'll... it is a really cool place. Um yeah. strangely, the witchery was was actually created as witchery tours. It was a ghost tour company originally. And the guy was such a success that he opened a restaurant, he actually bought the building because they started the tours literally outside. The, the restaurant, it was a kind of mix match of the two. And it used to be a kind of gimmicky restaurant where they'd have a, a, a waxwork of a witch sitting inside it initially. But over the years, it's become, you know, more sophisticated, if you like, and they've got rid of all the, you know, the kind of halloween stuff. And it's just like a really nice um, romantic kind of restaurant now. But that's what they started off with. And they had some weird phenomena take place remember reading an article they did a a seance one night they had these kind of fun evenings when the public would come along and pay to come and sit and meet you know have a meal and a medium would come in and do a little bit and it would just be a sort of fun spooky evening but anyway they did a sort of pretend seance a few years back and apparently something really dreadful happened which he would not talk about 
and they never did it again after that because they attracted a very negative entity. Right. That's interesting, isn't that? Yeah. Must have been quite scary if they all talk about it. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I remember reading the article in the paper and I thought, wow, this is uh, this is interesting. Um, but I've not been able to find any more than that other than they discontinued these events because of what happened. So what's uh, the... Um... What's what's the the history then of of witch trials in um, in Edinburgh? Do you know of? Do you know yeah, um, I know a wee bit. It was like uh, I mean, King James I had written a book. I remember a book called Demonology. Yeah, and he really believed, you know, that witchcraft and witch covens were a real force to be reckoned with. The one thing he was obsessed about was witches and the fact they were out to get him because I believe his wife. Had been traveling over from Holland, I think, or prior to the wedding. Yeah. And a sure. massive storm came up, and I think the boat was almost wrecked. And of course, he that's uh, right. perceived it to be the Berwick witches, if I remember. That's correctly. right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I've done a bit of research into that myself, actually. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was his wife um, yeah. came over, and, and, and they were hit by a, a massive storm, and, and the boat nearly sank. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in fact, it was, it was down to, it was down to, James the first of England, as he as, as he became obviously James sixth of Scotland. Sixth Scotland, yeah, yeah. yeah that um, uh, the Pendle witch trials um, happened because um, because of his um, attitude, you know, towards uh, rooting out witches. So yeah, so, so yeah, that's um, that's that's quite an interesting tie in that. Yeah. So sorry, go on. I interrupted you, Graham. No, <laughs> it's um, it, it is a fascinating story. I mean, it, it's unfortunate, as you know. I mean, you you'll be well versed in this. How, you know, one one man's opinion could probably sway the whole country in a sense. Mm-hmm. And people were um, accusing neighbours of all sorts. And some really horrible, sad stories when you read about it. It's horrible, really. Um, there's talk of them erecting a, a proper monument to the witches, the witches, the people, the innocent people yeah. who died. Um, so this is a lot of talk about this at the moment, but there's a really quite a horrible, quite scary story attached to that, to witchcraft, uh, which is based around Holyrood Palace, of course, which is sort of the other end of Prince, um, other end of the Royal Mile from the castle. Of course, that's the building that the current queen has a wee holiday in now and then when she's up in Scotland, you know, she'll stay over Holyrood, but there is a witch that was held near there or next to it called Agnes. Uh, they called her Agnes Samson, I think. So they refer to her as Bald Agnes because her head was shaven before her execution, and she was just this poor woman, typically who kind of admitted to witchcraft, probably under torture, of course, and uh, ended up being burned at stake. But our ghost's been seen a couple of times in in the palace, and both times, from what I've heard sounds incredibly frightening actually there was a poor guy in there an electrician uh probably about 20 years ago was called in just repair a plug in the wall and he was on this corridor on his own it was a narrow little corridor away from the public eye and uh, he hears a noise and he looks around as a woman wearing a what he describes a white shroud shuffling towards him and of course he just bolted absolutely terrifying and another guy i think around about the same time was a young German diplomat and they were having some kind of Commonwealth meeting if I remember correctly and uh, this guy was along basically to take notes I guess and they'd assigned each delegate a room they've got kind of area I guess which is all like more like offices rather than these palatial rooms and the guy went in to collect his papers before the meeting and was heard to scream the place down and fall out of the door almost in a state of collapse 
And when he recovered, he said he walked into the room and there was a naked woman floating above the desk with no hair. Wow. Which sounds absolutely terrifying. <laughs> it does, absolutely. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, and somewhat jaw-dropping, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. And I think he did get a hell of a scare because what I read anyway was he was actually a state of collapse, so he must have been in real yeah. shock. Um, yeah. So there has been the odd sighting of witches, but, you know, I guess considering the sheer volume of people that mm. met Ren that way, it's not the most common spirit, if you like, to see in this city, funnily enough. Very few stories connected to that. Yeah, I believe that um, the 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 poor people who were were tried and convicted of of witchcraft and there was was it something like about four thousand or something like that haven't they all uh just received a pardon through the, yeah. the scottish scottish parliament so so yeah so i would have thought that uh you know some sort of monument would would be a a fitting um a fitting testimony really to it i know it's something that uh, that they've done here, um, close to where I live, actually, because I do live quite close to Pendle Hill myself. Oh, um, and there's actually um, a monument to to Wonder Pendle, which is um, here, which is quite quite poignant. You know, when you when you drive past and see it, see yeah. it every time. It's like a bronze uh, life size um, statue of of one of the one of the women. So, so I think that will be quite poignant, really. Um, Sounds brilliant. It really does. I think um, I was going to say I think I'll have to next time I'm up in Edinburgh. I will have to go on a ghost tour, but I think I'm going to have to pick yours and because yours sounds about about the most um, <laughs> convincing of them all. Rather well, than uh... if you're ever up in Edinburgh, Craig, email me and I'll give you a private tour. How's that? Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. I, that will be absolutely fantastic. Well, no problem. I know you'll like it. We could go, I could show you more places that I would normally take. You know. <laughs> The tourists, we could have got a wee bit off the beaten track because there's some fabulous stories here. Uh, and they all, you know, of course, everybody tends to stick to the old Royal Mile just simply because of the time factor. But honestly, yeah. there's some fabulous stories dotted around and some very, very odd ones as well, as you can imagine. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure you'd enjoy it. <laughs> I'm sure I would, absolutely. And I think um, I think I'll have to have you on again at some point in the in the very near future. And uh and you can tell us some more, um, some 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 of the uh, the lesser known ones in Edinburgh, shall we say? Then. Oh yeah, absolutely, no problem. Rather than uh, rather than the more well known ones, but it's it's been absolutely fascinating. It's been brilliant. Um, I've I've absolutely loved loved those stories. The some of them are, are, are really uh, really quite hair raising, aren't they? Even just to listen to them, let yeah. alone um, um, you know, be unfortunate enough to actually see these these <laughs> things. So um, yeah. so yeah, it's brilliant. Um, where, where can people find your your work then, Graham? Find your books and that. Um, yeah, I've got books. I've got the book I've got out at the moment, the Aberdeen's Haunted Heritage, can be get gotten through eBay, or can be gotten through Amazon, um, or if people want to contact me directly, um, I could give you my email number. Yeah. I guess it was. I mean, was that kind of yeah, okay? sure? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. absolutely, yeah. So it would be Graham with that A-E-M-E, graeme.m at live.co.uk. And if people are interested, they can email me and I can sign them books or dedicate them or whatever they want. Um, but Amazon's the other place. If you just want to go straight for that, they, they've got a wee stock at the moment. Like the eBay also uh, have them in. And the ghost tour, the Confessions of an Emra Ghost Tour Guide, which is the very long-winded title of my latest one, uh, which is just finished, should hopefully be out 
I'm hoping for the end of June. I mean, it's still the stage of trying to work out the, the cover design. I'm going for something a little different this time. But I'm hoping, you know, literally within a few months that one will be out because I'm really quite proud of it. I've, I've really enjoyed it and it's it's mm. it's a mixture of really scary but also quite funny. I'm, I'm quite sarcastic in my delivery, <laughs> I have to say. But, uh, you know, there's some fabulous ghost stories there as well and I try and... Uh, I've added new ones, I think, to the, the Edinburgh palette. So for those that are quite well au fait with the city, might be surprised and might discover some gems amongst them. But yeah, it was good. It was good fun. Well, that's um, that's definitely a title I'm going to keep my eye open for. Then I'd, I'd, I'd love to read that. It sounds it sounds brilliant. Um, it's been great to have you on, Graham. I've really enjoyed this this chat we've had. Um, and like I said, I'd love to have you back on again sometime in the near future um i'm sure we'll keep in touch and um thank you very much for coming on today yeah no problem craig thanks for having me i've been i've very much enjoyed it it's been a pleasure yeah the pleasure's been all ours thank you very much all the best mate and you thank you you can visit my website at www.craigbryant.co.uk paranormal pendle will return and remember to keep watching the shadows <laughs>